You'll notice a number of people around today who are wearing buttons because they're volunteers here. Uh, just for clarity, I'm wearing this as an example. Uh, you do pay me. I am not a volunteer. Very thankful for that. Uh, but you'll see the volunteers around with these on. Uh, we are really thankful for our volunteers. God uses you in order to impact and transform lives. And I would like to ask anyone in the room who serves in any ministry here at Friendship Church, would you please stand right now? Yeah, anyone, go ahead and stand right now. Remain standing. Christina, remain standing. There we go. All right. Because we want to pray for you. Father, we're so thankful for those who are standing, for the impact that they have. We're grateful for the way that you use people and the way you provide the people that your work and your ministry need. Uh, we recognize that each volunteer is an expression of your love for the body. And we're thankful for that. And ask that you'd continue to provide all that's needed for this church and for those who are volunteering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're so thankful for the volunteers that God has given to us here at Friendship Church. And I can't think of a better passage for us to go through today on Volunteer Appreciation Sunday than the one that we're going to encounter in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. That was your cue. If you need it, you can turn in your Bibles or devices to Mark chapter 8. We're looking at verses 1 through 21, and this is such a fitting passage because it is all about the power of Christ that can work through His people when we're carrying out His commands, when we're doing the tasks that our King has given to us. Now, before we get too far into Mark chapter 8, let's go back and review what we've seen in the Gospel of Mark thus far. The primary point of the whole Gospel of Mark is that what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he is God in the flesh. And chapter 1, verse 1 announces this. And we have seen one account after another that shows us that Jesus is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he has all power and all authority. We've seen his power over the visible creation and over the invisible or spiritual creation. We've seen his power over sickness and health. We've seen his power over what is unclean and clean. We've seen his power over death and life. Jesus has all power and all authority as the Son of God. And he has been teaching his disciples this very important lesson. That because he has all power and authority, it can work in and through us if we have faith as we're carrying out his kingdom commands. When we're involved in, in Jesus' kingdom work, if we will have faith, his power and his authority will work through us. Three weeks ago, we looked at this in a, a, on a ledger. We looked at how we often look at tasks in this life, and we recognize that when we face a task, usually what we do is we measure the resources we have on hand in order to see if that task is possible and how best to do that task. And three weeks ago, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave his disciples a great big task. He told them to feed thousands of people. We're told there were 
5,000 men, probably 15 to 20,000 people total. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So they count up the resources. And what do they come up with? Five loaves and two fish. Probably not enough for thousands upon thousands, is it? But what is the lesson that Jesus wants them to understand? He wants them to understand that when it comes to kingdom tasks, it's not only the resources that we can see, but if we have faith, the power and authority of Jesus rests on the resource side of the ledger. And so Jesus multiplies all of those bread and all of those fish, and he feeds those thousands. He told his disciples to do it, and they said, we can't. There's not enough resources. Jesus said, okay, watch this. The disciples had a lesson in faith to learn, but they didn't get it the first time. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a lesson to learn, but you didn't get it the first time? Right? Anyone been in that situation? When my daughter was a young girl, it came time to do what parents often do with their young children, teach her to ride a bike. And so we bought her a bike, a beautiful pink girl's world bike. And we put training wheels on the back. And we gave her some instruction, and we set her out on those training wheels. And she rode all over the place on those training wheels. But eventually the day came when it was time to learn the lesson of how to ride a bike for real. And so I removed the training wheels. It was time to learn this lesson. Now, I remember all of the skin that I lost off of elbows and knees learning to ride a bike. And that was not going to happen to my precious princess and her pink girl world bike. And so I had a different way that I was going to train her. It was going to be magical. She was going to get on that bike, and I was going to hold on to the back of the seat, and I was going to run behind her as she learned how to pedal and balance the bike. And I would run holding on to the seat, and run holding on to the seat, until eventually... I just let go. And she would be doing it all on her own. She wouldn't know I let go. She would suddenly just turn around and go, oh, I'm doing it on my own. And she would be so thrilled. She would jump off the bike and run back and wrap her arms around her dad. And it would be a magical moment. There was a lot riding on this. And so we went out on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. So beautiful that all the neighbors were out in their yards doing yard work. And we began to run up and down the block with me holding the back of the seat and Madeline pedaling as best she could and steering back and back and back. What I didn't count on was the fact that I, I wasn't in great shape and so I got tired. And... She kept getting more confident, which meant she kept pedaling faster and faster. And so finally we reached a stretch where she was pedaling so fast, I was running as fast as I possibly could to keep up with the bike. I was tired and didn't have a lot of balance, and it was right then that she turned the wheel hard and bit the ground. And because I was holding onto the back of the bike, I fell right on top of her. And there we were. 
laying in front of all of our neighbors, a great big pile of blood and gravel. She was crying and in pain, and I was really embarrassed and in pain and looking around to see just which neighbors saw that. And it took us a minute. She fell. What was going to happen next? Right, that was the question. Was she done? Was that it? Was I done? Was that it? Or were we going to get back on the bike and try again? In Mark chapter 6, Jesus wanted his disciples to act in faith and to live by faith. And they fell off the bike. What is Jesus' response? What does he want from them in that situation? It may be that as you sit here this morning, you've fallen off the bike of faith in some way. It may be that as you look back over the course of the last week or two, you can specifically think of situations in your life where you have lived by the flesh, where, where you've lived in fear rather than living by faith. Maybe parents... You yelled at one of your kids as you were on your way here today. The enemy loves to attack families on Sundays. He doesn't want them worshiping together. Maybe teenagers, you yelled at one of your parents over the course of this week or just ignored what they had to say altogether. Maybe you've given in and lied over the course of this week. Maybe you've given in to lust over the course of this week. Maybe you've gossiped about others and torn them down behind their back over the course of this week. Maybe God wanted you to go on a missions trip, but you, didn't, you weren't sure how he would provide for that, and so you didn't go. Maybe God wanted you to share your faith with your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, and while he was calling you to do that, you gave in to potential feelings of embarrassment and didn't share. Maybe God has been calling you to be more generous with your resources. But you've been clutching them tightly, saying, but I, I've got things I want to do. I've got things I want to accomplish. And you've been living a self-oriented life with your resources rather than a kingdom-oriented life. Maybe as you're here today, you have fallen off the bike when it comes to living by faith. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know that as I think back over the last couple of weeks, I can think of some very specific situations in which I have fallen off the bike of faith and lived by flesh instead. Right? Anyone else? What are we to do in those situations? Jesus would have us to get back on the bike. Jesus helps us back on the bike, and he wants us to begin to start pedaling in faith again. And so in this situation that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 8 today, we're going to see Jesus put his disciples in a situation so similar to what they experienced in Mark chapter 6. The only explanation can be that he wants them to get it this time. Look at how similar the first few verses of Mark 8 are compared to what we saw in Mark chapter 6. It is a similar setting. Once again, there are thousands gathered out in the wilderness. It's a similar problem. 
They have nothing to eat. They've been with Jesus three days, and there's nothing to eat. It's a similar reaction from Jesus. I have compassion on these people. It's a similar reaction from the disciples. When Jesus tells them to give the people something to eat, they say, we can't possibly. Where would we get food out here in this remote place? It's a similar solution from Jesus. How many loaves do you have? It's a similar, uh, similar available resources. Seven loaves and a few small fish, five loaves and two fish, and what? The power and authority of the Son of God. It's a similar plan from Jesus. Have the people sit down in groups, give thanks, break the loaves, and break the loaves, and break the loaves, and break the loaves, and break the loaves, to feed thousands. Similar role for the disciples. Breaks them, gives it to them, they distribute it to the people. Similar satisfaction. Everyone eats and is completely satisfied. And of course, it's similar leftovers as they pick up basketful in order to remind them of the lesson. Do you see how incredibly similar the beginning of Mark 8 is to what we saw in Mark chapter 6? Because Jesus is bringing his followers back and he's saying, you guys, remember this lesson that you failed in a few weeks ago? We need to get it right. There are some lessons that are so important, there's no point in moving on to another lesson until we get it. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? There are some lessons that are so important, there's no point in moving on to another lesson until we get it. When I was teaching my son to drive, there was this vital lesson about which one is the gas pedal and which one is the brake pedal. And there was no point in moving on to another lesson until we got that one down. you got to know which one's the gas pedal and which one's the brake pedal, and there's no point in me talking to you about how to properly signal or how to check your blind spot if you don't get that first lesson down. And Jesus wants them to get this first lesson. Right? This is the essential lesson. And what is the lesson? That when it comes to doing the king's work, when it comes to kingdom tasks, if we'll have faith in him, the power and authority of Jesus goes on the resource side of the ledger. The power and authority of Jesus can work in our lives and through our lives if we'll place our faith in him when we have kingdom tasks to do. That, that's the big lesson that they need to grasp, that we need to grasp. And in Mark chapter 6, they don't get it. Mark chapter 6 verse 52 says they were hard-hearted, which is Mark's phrase for not fully believing in the identity of Jesus. They were hard-hearted. And in Mark chapter 8, guess what? They don't get it again. Right? Once again, they fall off the bike in Mark chapter 8. And so what does Jesus do? He gives up on them. He says, forget you guys. I'm going to go find some different disciples. You guys are ridiculous. I put you in the same situation. No, that's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He continues to work with them. He continues to get them back on the bike and say, come on. I, I know we just screwed up, but let's learn to pedal this bike of faith together. Let's get on and try again, you guys. And so we're going to see them have a third opportunity immediately. 
And as they say, the third time's the what? Yeah, the third time's the charm. Well, that's not actually going to be the situation at all, but it's nice that you know that phrase. Is the third time a charm? Uh, No. Jesus gets into a boat, and he travels to uh, Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha is on that northwest side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And when he arrives, he's greeted by a group of Pharisees. And what do those Pharisees want? They want Jesus to perform a sign from heaven for them. What has Jesus been doing throughout the book of Mark? He has been doing miraculous signs, one after another. Thousands of people from all over Israel are coming to Jesus because they know all about the miraculous signs that he is doing. It's just one amazing and miraculous sign after another showing that he is the Son of God. The Pharisees have seen many of these signs. They've heard about all of these signs, and they have the gall to come and say, no, no, Come on, show us a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. And what is Jesus' response to that? He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Jesus isn't going to perform just for them. Jesus will continue to do miraculous signs for those who have need and have faith in him. But he will not do miraculous signs for those who just want to test him and have no faith. He won't do miraculous signs for them. And so he gets back in the boat, verse 13. And he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. And here is where we see a third test for the disciples. Will they ride the bike of faith? In verse 15, Jesus says to them, Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Jesus is teaching them using a symbol. What's the symbol? Right? Yeast. Yeast works its way through bread and causes it to rise. And throughout the Bible, yeast often represents sin and the way that it works its way through things. And so Jesus here warns them, you guys, be careful of the sinful practices of Herod and the Pharisees. And he's using yeast as an illustration. Now, what do you know about Herod and the Pharisees? Jesus is warning them about falling into this kind of sin, but it's actually a very different kind of sin, isn't it? Herod's throne room was known for what? Parties and debauchery. Herod's throne room was known for for parties and debauchery. He had stolen his brother's wife because she looked good to him. If you hung out with Herod, it was for the sake of participating in wine, women, and song. The Pharisees, their sin was very different than that, wasn't it? The Pharisees' sin was sins of the Spirit. They were prideful. They thought of themselves as well above others. They judged others based on human traditions and looked down on others because they weren't as good at keeping those human traditions. Herod's courtroom and the Pharisees' uh, community, they sinned in very different ways. And Jesus says, whether we are talking about the sins of the flesh 
and you just want to feel good all the time, or the sins of the Spirit, and you are prideful and judging others, these are both dead-end pathways. Beware of it. Don't let it come into your life. Don't let that leaven leak in, he says. Now, the, the disciples, do they grasp what Jesus is saying here? Do they get his illustration using leaven? Look at verse 16. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. What? Verse 14, we, we skipped over, said, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. What is going on here? They hear Jesus teaching about yeast this symbol he is using for sin. And not only do they not get the symbol that Jesus is using, they are deeply concerned because they only have one loaf of bread on the boat and they might be on the water for hours and there's 13 of them for one loaf. What are they going to do? Right? Do you see the absurdity here? Jesus has just fed thousands of people with seven loaves. Thousands. And they're concerned because what are we going to do out on the water for a few hours? We've only got one loaf. Well, what are we going to do? Not only do the disciples not get Jesus' image-based teaching, they're with a man who just fed thousands of people with a few loaves, and they're concerned that their one loaf might not be enough for 13. Friends, they fall off the bike again. Right? They fall off the bike of faith again. And now it is time for Jesus to teach. And when I say teach, I mean it is time for Jesus to teach. And he says to them, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Lord, give us eyes to see. Are your hearts hardened? There's Mark's phrase. We've seen it over and over again here for those who don't fully recognize the identity of Jesus. Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? And at this point, I have to believe all of the disciples are looking at the floor of the boat, the bottom of the boat, as they answer, 12... And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And again, they answer, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Understand what? Understand the big lesson that he wants them to grasp that when it comes to the king's commands and when it comes to kingdom living, the power and authority of Jesus are available to us if we will place our faith in him. Right? The power and authority of Jesus are available to us if we'll place our faith in them. The disciples have fallen off the bike again. This is strike number three. Three strikes and you're out. And so Jesus is done with them, right? Right? No, no, you know he's not. And you guys, the failure isn't going to end here. In just a few verses, Jesus is going to have to say to Peter, Peter, those thoughts are Satan's thoughts. 
And then in the next chapter, they're going to completely fail to recognize Jesus' identity on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then James and John are going to come, and they're going to say, can we please have the best seats in the kingdom? And then all the disciples are going to argue about which one of them is the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Oh, my goodness. Right? What is Jesus' response to all of this falling off of the bike? He just continues to work with his children. He continues to say, let's get back up on the bike of faith and pedal. When my daughter wiped out that day, that could have been it. We could have gone inside and said, yep, I'm done trying to teach you. And she could have said, great, I'm done trying to learn. We're done. But instead, after a couple of minutes of composing self, she got back on the bike, and I began to run along behind again. And after a couple more gentle wipeouts over the course of that day, by the end of the day, she was riding around the neighborhood on her own. Riding and riding and riding. Because we didn't give up. And, and as her dad, I didn't look at her and say, you didn't get it? <laughs> the second time she crashed, I didn't say, well, I'm done with you. Because I'm her parent. And, and as parents, we keep training. As parents, we keep getting the kids back on the bike. And Jesus keeps getting his disciples back on the bike over and over and over again. And the same may be needed in your life today. Maybe as you sit here today, you see ways that you have fallen off the bike. Jesus' response if you are his child, isn't to walk away shaking his head and going, what a screw up. His response isn't to say, well, that's the third time, the 74th time, the 186th time, I'm done with them. His response is to get you back up onto the bike, to grab a hold of the back of the seat and say, come on, let's pedal, let's learn to ride this bike of faith together. That's his call in your life today. Is Jesus done with you? No way. He comes to you today and says, let's run in faith. I'd invite you all to bow your heads with me. And in a time of silence, spend some time with the Lord answering this question. How is he calling you to jump back on the bike of faith and pedal today? Is there a particular sin in your life that you've been giving into again and again and you haven't been battling it in faith and prayer? Do you need to commit to battling in faith and prayer, to asking others to pray with you over that sin? Have you been struggling to love your family the way that Jesus has called you to? Is today a day of committing yourself to getting back on the bike of faith and pedaling, pleading with the Lord, praying again and again for His strength to love your family as He's called you to? Is Jesus calling you back into service in a way that is sacrificial? To serve Him, to serve His people, to serve the world? in a way that makes a difference for the name of Jesus. Is he calling you to that today?
to get back on the bike. Is he calling you to use your resources in more sacrificial and more kingdom-minded ways? Lord, what are you calling me to? How are you calling me to, to jump back on the bike of faith and pedal again? As we go to the table... We do so recognizing the deep love of Jesus that he gave his life so that we might have life. That he was crucified so that we might be forgiven of our sins and live this new life in him as his children so that we could continue to learn to live the life of faith that he's called us to. I want to invite you as we prepare to go to the table and take the Lord's elements today, the bread and the cup that represent his sacrifice, to prepare your hearts for that.